fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Daniel J. Glenn, analytical mastermind here. Just wanted to pop in once again and remind you that this incredible audio podcast now, as a video version that we're doing, you can go to fgbt.com, click on the episode link at the top of the page. You'll see all of our episodes. They're on YouTube. They're great. Uh, we have lots of accompanying video that will illustrate our points, show you what, what in the world are we talking about here. And while you're on the website, you can go to each individual page for the episodes that we've done and find the links. What are we talking about? The news stories, the other videos th that were the in real life stuff, the, the, the meat of what we're talking about here. Uh, this will help you make these things in real life for your own collection. But if you don't have time, no big deal. The audio version is an incredible way to learn about your favorite pop culture technologies. And speaking of, on with the show. All right, welcome to the show. Uh, you know, this silky smooth voice, you know this one. This is Daniel J. Glenn, the analytical mastermind. Everyone knows that. You also know who I have sitting next to me, and that is the physics phenom, the superhero scientist extraordinaire, Dr. Michael Denon. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Dan. And right next to you, of course, we couldn't do the show without the enigmatic engineer, the man of a thousand calculations, Ben Siebser. Are you here? I am here. Thanks thank for having me. Well, thank you for being on the show today. Uh, so now, Denon, you've done a little bit of traveling, right? I have. I've been traveling a lot lately. Have you ever spent any time across the pond, as they say? I have, and Edinburgh is one of my favorite places. I've, I've been there twice. I just recently came back from there. Really? Yes. How'd you like it? I loved Edinburgh. I love the oldness of it, if that's a word. Mm -mm, it's not. <laughs> the age of it. How's that? <laughs> um, the castle is mostly intact, but there was a new feature I got to see this time. What's that? Which is the cafe that J.K. Rowling wrote uh, Harry Potter in. What? And, Get out of here. And I believe it's actually honest because everybody points you to the same cafe and there's a sign <laughs> in it. And there's only one cafe with the sign in it. It's not like multiple cafes right, yeah. are a advertising this. Do they have the cocktail napkin that she actually wrote down the, the storyline on? Um, that I did not see. There was a, it's an elephant cafe. There's a lot of elephants in this cafe. Wow. So I was a little surprised elephants didn't play more prominently in the story. <laughs> huh. That's really interesting. I mean, maybe there's a subtle elephant theme going on in the whole there thing. There could be. I'll have to go back and reread it. That's really interesting. Yeah. What about you, Benny? Are you spending time over there? I've, I've not actually been to the... Uh United Kingdom, as it were. <laughs> sure, the UK for short. Uh, so you've never been? No. Nah, you want to go? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be fun. Okay, if we take this on tour, well, I'll make sure you get, get okay. over there. Uh, I've spent time in Ireland, which isn't exactly the same thing. It's technically the UK, but it is not well, England. Depends what uh, this was oh, it's true. Actually, very, very true. It was not Belfast, although I, I think I went through there. But I did spend time in Dublin. Um, that's part of Ireland proper, and not yes. part of the UK. That is very true. I was close to Belfast. That's what I was thinking. I don't want all my Irish fans. Don't get upset. I do know the lay of the land over there. Uh, beautiful, the Emerald Isle. I love it. Um, and I, you know what else I love, guys? What else do you love, Dan? I love the world of Harry Potter. I'm oh, not gonna lie. I, 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 hard to find someone who doesn't. Uh, it is so. I, I really do. I feel yeah. like a kid. I remember. Um, I remember the first time I was introduced to them. I was actually, I'll tell you this quick story here. First time I was introduced to it, I was in Boston. I was dating a girl. She wanted to go see the movie, and I said, That's kid stuff. Get out of here. That's crazy, right? Then I moved to LA, and I, I was at a roommate who was reading book four, uh, The Goblet right. of Fire. Actually, funny enough, I have the books behind me 
Goblet of Fire is the only hardcover book I don't have. Oh, interesting. I don't know why. Are I you looking for a copy, Dan? Well, I was going <laughs> to go. I sell you one. <laughs> Do you have one? Yeah. Really? I yeah. still think I need to complete my collection. Okay, well, I'll go well, check. let's talk deal. Yeah. Let's get to the deal after the show. Um, but yeah, I may take you up on that. <laughs> um, so anyway, it was you reading that book, and I remember thinking to myself, this kid stuff, you guys are juveniles. She introduced me to the book, said, you're going to read, here's the, uh, read the Sorcerer's Stone, you're going to love it. And I was like, okay, whatever. I read it in three days. I read it over the weekend, <laughs> loved it, and never looked back. Uh, I love the world. Yeah. I just think it's so, so incredible. No, it's a great world. It's, it's nicely designed, and mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah, it's just amazing. It is. What, the design, I like what you struck on that. Ben, what do you like? Do you like the design of it? I like, yeah. I like the engineering of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was our uh, road trip. Books that we listened to them. Hogwarts? Oh, really? On our ways, on our trips to the uh, East Coast when I was in middle school and high school. No kidding. And oh, that's fine. Eventually, they got too long and we couldn't finish them on the road. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I started reading them. Yeah. yeah. So, did, did you, so you just would start and then as you went, just start with well, chapter so one the and then first, go? Yeah, or? the first trip we, we did you know, Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone. We, yeah. We made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The second year we did. Uh, Oh my, uh, oh my God! It's right behind you. It's the Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets. Thank you. The, the one with the snake. <laughs> the one with the snake. It's a, it's a basilisk. It's a basilisk. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple um, of clear fans in the and room. And then for the third one for Prisoners of Azkaban, that yeah. one we barely finished it by the time we got right. back home. Right. Just skating yeah. in on fumes. And then for Goblet of Fire, there was no chance. Oh, Goblet of Fire is so like three times the size. Yeah. yeah. It's a great book. The Goblet of Fire. Yeah. Is fun. Now it's Goblet of Fire is interesting because it contains the World Quidditch Cup. Yes. yes. Now, I got to tell you, if I have one problem, I'm looking at you, J.K. Rowling. If I have one problem with the world of Harry Potter, it is Quidditch. Because I don't know J.K. Rowling's background, but she may be an athlete, but that game clearly feels like it was not created by anyone who's ever played a sport in their life. Okay, I have to ask, why do you say that, Dan? It doesn't make any sense at all. If you were going to really play Quidditch for keeps, yes. you would... Forget about the bulgers. For, is that what they're called? The bulge, the the blood, okay, yeah, bludgers. Sorry, bludgers. bludgers. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about the bludgers. Forget. Maybe have a keeper. Just go after the snitch. Have two or three snitch finders. What are they called? Seekers. seekers. You can't, but there's only one seeker. But you, then you have three people eyeballing it. It's worth 150 points, which is 15 scores, yeah. and it ends the game. Yeah. So you could let them score. You need a keeper. Have everyone else keeping an eye out for the snitch. You go and find it. That's it. That's the game. Well, you know, it's you interesting need that you say that. It's it is interesting because no. that's the strategy. No, because analytical mastermind. Because um, have you have you followed the evolution of soccer or as our European fans would call football? I'm an American. I watch exactly. American football. So so that explains sort of where Quidditch came from. Okay, explain it to me. Break it down for me, Dennis. But, well, because. Soccer started with, um, when I started playing as a kid, you had five strikers. Because you would think the idea is to just score a goal, right? Because that's actually what you need to win. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that it's evolved into a much more defensive game um, with defenders making runs to occasionally score. So you're right. It's a very American thing to go after the big win. So I'm not surprised J.K. Rowling came up with Quidditch the way she did. All right, so not, not to question you, Dan. <laughs> uh, no, no, we're taking this a step further. But here's the difference, right? Yeah. So what you're talking about in soccer is, soccer, did I say that correctly? You, you did, correct? you did okay. pronounce that correctly. Okay. Okay. Sure. Football. I, right. <laughs> I always pronounce everything incorrectly. Um, so Sacher, when, you, when you're playing it, you've got people on offense, and then you've got defensive players stopping them. It's just like right. basketball. Let's make it equivalent to basketball for the American listeners, okay. although I do love my European audience. You have offense and defense. With the, with the snitch, it is like it, it's, it's, 
it's a sentient thing that's flying around, right? It's not AI. The thing's alive, uh, what magic yeah. means. It, it, nonetheless, it's flying at a random pattern that you have to go out and try to find. And you only have one guy finding it. There's no defensive player. It's just no, two seekers the other going is defensive. But they're not playing defense. No. It's just who finds it first. I, I agree they're, with they're you. Each other. No, I agree with you that this <laughs> is an interesting what? twist on a game because what you have is two modes of offense. Right. And you don't have that in many other sports. Um, and, it, and a random it, nature of the, the... What I would think it would be equivalent to is if in football... Mm-hmm. Okay. American football. In American football. The only right, football. Suppose there was an option at any point in the game, mm-hmm. if you were more than 50 yards out, to attempt to drop kick it through the uprights. Drop kick it through like, the like, uprights? Have you like, seen a, a game No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, imagine you added that to like football. Like a pro wrestling WWE style drop kick it through the uprights. You know, you drop the football and you kick it. Oh, punt it. You punt it, but you have to <laughs> let it hit the ground first. <laughs> right? Which makes it really okay. hard. Okay. Right? Because the football's all okay. shape. Right? So imagine if that act, uh-huh. okay, allowed you to score, you know, the equivalent of 15 touchdowns, and the game would end, uh-huh. right? It, it would be an interesting twist. And would you suddenly have everyone trying that all the time, Dan, or would you be running plays and running up the I score what, behind your back? I see what you're doing here, <laughs> and here's why it doesn't work. Because snitch is this, finding the snitch is a fundamental part of Quidditch. It ends the game. Well, I just, I just made drop kicking fundamental to football. It ended the game and scored it points. It the game? Yeah, points. I made so it end the game. Now, you still have the clock. But that doesn't make this like Quidditch. 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 Okay, so get rid of the clock. Fine. <laughs> you get rid of the clock? <laughs> I'm just saying it ends the game. Whether you have a clock or not, it's still. Most people who play sports do. don't like the random nature of it. As a matter of fact, with American football, I really don't like the fact when it goes into overtime that there's a significant advantage to winning a coin toss. Yes. I don't like that at all. Uh, I, I do not shy away from that fact. I'll go head it, hit it straight head on. So I, I'm Both just teams curious, get is this an episode on Quidditch, Dan? Okay, so here's where I'm going with this. <laughs> so Quidditch, one of the strange things, again, this is what I don't like about about Quidditch are the brooms, the Harry Potter brooms, which is what today's episode is about, the Harry Potter broom. Here's what I, I love the broom itself. I love the idea of a flying stick you can sit on. <laughs> what I don't like is that it's upgraded throughout the series and no one should have a significant advantage based on the technology that you're riding. If it'd be like if sneakers, if you had jets on sneakers in basketball, or, or like you know springs or something, and some people did and some people didn't. I don't like that. Well, advantage. that's an interesting concept. So all you, what, you. what you're arguing for is a stricter regulation of broom usage yeah, in Quidditch. Exactly. It's not the brooms you don't mind. It's the lack of regulation. Yeah, I wish. I don't know if the Ministry right. of Magic should really get involved, but someone should someone, be there should be a sports organization and regulating this. There should be a commission involved uh, okay. regulating well, the performance of brooms. It's, in like, it's sort of it's like, like the offsides golf. rule in, in, in soccer. Or well, neutral zone. It's like golf or tennis, yes. where you know they can make they make better tennis rackets and golf clubs than what the professionals use, and they they scientifically limit you to right. a certain quality of. Or you all get to use the same one. Right. Well, it's like, well, actually, a better example would be in baseball, everyone uses a wooden bat of specific dimensions. Yeah. Right. An aluminum bat would be better. Until you cork your bat. Until you cork your bat, which happens sometimes. So that's what I don't like. But let's talk about what I do like, which is I do like the broom a lot. So. Uh, let's talk about how we could actually take, because this is one of those weird times where the opposite, you know, it's where any significantly advanced technology looks like magic. And in this case, we are dealing with magic. Let's go with it. So I think for for Quidditch, this is actually a kind of easy problem to solve that we can do with today's technology. We've all seen the indoor skydiving zones Mm, that, you know, there's one on Universal City Walk, 
I'm sure you can more buzz marketing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, YouTube buzz marketing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you getting paid by these guys? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, YouTube's gonna be those big bucks. Uh, yeah, like Google. So money. a Quidditch pitch is is 500 feet by 180 feet. Okay. It's an oval. Yeah. Um, the biggest wind wind tunnel ever built is 80 feet by 120 feet. So it's only oh. about it's only about okay. a 10x Doable. size okay. difference. We could probably yeah. make a big a 10x bigger right. windmill. Yeah. Um, so what you wind tunnel? Yeah. So what you do is you make a vertical wind tunnel like the indoor skydiving. Uh, put walls around the Quidditch pitch, and then now you have this uh, big wind tunnel. And then now you get on your broom, hmm. and uh, Probably blowing around 150 miles per hour or so, which is faster than the splayed out terminal velocity of a human. So when you watch the indoor skydivers, they're like like this. Right. But you can't play Quidditch like this. That, that, right. That it's would, ridiculous. That, that would be so it's more ridiculous. ridiculous than the game itself. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what you but when you're sitting on your broom, you'll be like you know you'll be probably about halfway between the the nose dive, which is about 200 miles per hour, and okay. the flat out. So. And you'll be able to control your altitude by kind of leaning forward, sitting back upright. Okay. That's how you can go up and down in this wind tunnel. Got it. And then to actually control direction and leaning, we'd probably put like some small wings or something on your broom. And now you can, you know, zip around and use the those air surfaces to That's fly around really in the, yeah. the Quidditch pitch. That's huh. exciting. I like that. I like that a lot. That's really cool. It gets us around having to use any kind of real strong technology, right. magnets or you know anything yeah. else. I, I like this. You'd have to, you couldn't wear the house robes. You'd have to wear like a right. nice right. yeah. skin tight suit or you're just gonna not be able to see anything, but. Okay, I like this idea. I think this is a really good idea for Quidditch specifically. Yes. yes. It's a good fix for that. Um, now what about if we're doing this in the rest of the wizarding world, uh, you know, obviously far from prying muggle eyes. So, I, I agree with Ben. We have some trouble. I mean, we've done other things. We've done our hoverboards. We've done other, we've done other you know, sure, flying sure, devices. Sure. And, and I think the challenge with the broom is the small structural mm. space you have in the broom, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I was trying to think a little bit. I mean, unfortunately, we have a, an actual rocket engineer sitting yes. next to me. So, I'm not even going to look that way while I say this. I'll just talk with you. <laughs> you did. Okay. All right. But you have a general interesting structure of the narrow broomstick mm -hmm. splaying out to the broom bristles in the back. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you have some general structural shape to get a basic jet action going. I, agree I don't know you. that you have any space for power um, to, to generate the jets. I don't know if you have any space um, to get enough uh, flow. This is where the magic comes in, presumably. Right. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but one of the questions it raises, I think, that is common in science fiction, okay, and I'm thinking particularly of some Isaac Asimov stuff and other things, is miniaturization of power, right? Okay. We always run into trouble with thermodynamics and heat generation, no matter what you're doing. But, you know, um, one of the first books I loved reading was the Foundation series, and you end up in there with really, really small nuclear power devices so they can okay. get handheld nuclear power and other things. Mm -hmm. Something that I can't even, and I don't think we can even really imagine how you would do. Right. Handheld nuclear power sounds yes. dangerous. But if you sort of take some of those concepts of figuring out how to miniaturize power sources, mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest barrier to the broom flying as a jet-like 
object. Well, it's interesting because... Like I said, I refuse to look at Ben while I say this. No, that's fine. And, and I'm not going to look at Ben either um, for other reasons. But I think that... <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I think what I was thinking is that, similar to what you're saying, if you had some kind of propulsion out of the back where the bristles are, bristle-based propulsion, yes. and some form of stabilizers, could you do something? I don't know. I'm guessing the answer is no. It's it's tough. So with with the with the broom, the problem is or it's not so much a problem. You can definitely get a rocket inside a broom handle that's big enough and powerful enough to make you go somewhere. Mm -hmm. The problem is you're probably going to end up having some sort of wily coyote moment though. <laughs> I which, love wily coyote moment. Which we're familiar with. Right. We're very <laughs> yeah. familiar with. But cuz realistically what's going to happen is either you manage to hold on mm -hmm. and you you're not a very aerodynamic person when you're right. on the top of a broomstick. So you're going to flip around and Sure. Have a bad day, yeah. or more realistically, you probably can't hold on to the broom, and the broom's going to shoot out from under you, yeah. and you're going to get soda on you all over your face. Right, so like like yeah, explode. Yeah, yeah. A wily coyote moment. Right. Yeah, okay. my favorite types of moments. Yep. You know, so you're probably right. I, I think I do have a solution. Although they do oh. have stirrups. You do see stirrups on some of the brooms. A yeah, lot of them. Well, the firebolt. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. The design of the brooms, I find, really tries to take into account that a human has a hard time sitting on a stick like that. Right. right? They have handlebars, they have stirrups. They, right. they, it's like a horse. They build it like a yeah, horse. They almost. build some interesting structures in which are, which gives you control panels possibly, right? Like right. in the handles. They, they do talk about just flying it by leaning forward or leaning back. And, and Harry seems to have this innate understanding of how to move on his broom. <laughs> right. Um, but... They, they leave open some options. I do. I like that, too, because they really give you... It's kind of like a false hope that this thing is actually possible. Right. It isn't, because <laughs> it looks so possible. Yeah. It's just the brilliance of magic. Yeah. But I think, I think I may have a solution, guys. Okay. Oh. So there is a device called, uh, by Hoversurf, it's called the Scorpion 3 Hoverbike. I think drones may be the key to this whole thing. Mm. Now, I'm going to explain this thing to you, and obviously there could be drastic improvements on it. But this thing, and this thing costs about $150,000. Not a problem for Harry Potter. Everyone knows that he's loaded, but for the average guys like right. us, you know, it's going to be a little difficult. Oh, the price yes. point's a little high. Magic money. <laughs> well, he's paying with gold. A magic yeah. money. <laughs> so, so... What I love about this thing is that it's like a drone. So it's like a, imagine it's like a motorcycle on a drone. It's got four propellers on each side. Right. And so you, you fly it like a, like a drone. It's really cool. The problem is that the propellers are unprotected. They don't have like a circle around them. So if this thing were to come down, I mean, you could kill someone really easily. It's like, I mean, it's like a helicopter that you can right. have to get your head chopped off with. Yeah. But I love the idea of this. It's not a good idea for Quidditch. Why do you think? Well, no, I'm saying that because you know because the propellers. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. Or you might uh, the quaffle might get shredded. The quaffle, <laughs> quaffle containment is also very important. Boy, yeah. <laughs> so what about this for non-Quidditch activities? Because we've solved the Quidditch activities. Sure, yeah, it's uh, sure. clearly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends on how much you want to extend the concept of a broom. Like how big are you allowed? How your far am I willing to go? How far are you allowing your? How big are you allowing your broom to get? I mean, <laughs> you know, as a right. motorcycle strike, and let's the face family it, show. Mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. The flying motorcycle does play prominently in the story. Oh, Sirius uh, Black's does. motorcycle That's is true. a key element, right? So it's not just brooms that fly. Well, it becomes Hagrid's when he gets it from Sirius Black. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, spoiler alert there. Spoiler too. alert, yeah. He didn't get to that trip. He only went on five trips. He didn't get to <laughs> the sixth trip to these coasts. I read them all. Did you? Okay. Yeah. But it was a long time. 
Yeah, um, they don't mention that in the movie, I don't think. They may not, yeah. Yeah. So um, okay. So so go on, yeah. where are you going with this? Well no, I'm just saying, so you have flying motorcycles. You also have to have a flying car, which, you know, mm -hmm. is even yeah. much bigger than a broom or a motorcycle. That's true. So just you know, from and the larger you make it, the more access you give to propulsion. So I am picturing I, I have not seen the image of this flying motorcycle that you described. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's pretty but, cool. But I'm picturing it, and I, and I imagine it's, it's not teeny. No, it's a right. motorcycle. Like exactly, and if you've got these really large propellers on it, you're yeah. not really thinking broomstick, probably, when you first look at it. No. But you are thinking the same general effect. I love the a drone idea. object that I'm sitting on. Yes, yes, I love the drone idea of the miniaturization it would benefit from. Um, so that's why I like it. Now, all right, so now I'm going to take this into the world of the weird. Okay. You guys ready? Okay, all right. we're ready. So... What if now I've already established we're talking about a magical world, right? And so you got to go with me on this, okay? Okay. So any significantly advanced technology looks like magic. I believe it's Carl Sagan said that. Lots of people said it, but that could he be. Was, true. I think it was the first. Who was he the first could be. Guy? Anyway, what if we're talking now? Now this I'm going into your world here. Dr. Okay. Ben. What if we a were a foam broom? A foam. What if this is made out of foam? <laughs> no. What if there was a form of alien technology? Right? There's a lot of talk of anti-gravity, things that yeah. can distort space and time. What if we were to create, is there any way, given what we know about anti-gravity, that alien technology could actually be the magic because it is so significantly advanced? Could we harness it and put it into a broom? I'm going to actually go yes and no on this because I'm, I'm feeling very committed today to my opinions. Okay. No, that's fair enough. Um, yes and no. Yeah. Well, the challenge go yes always... First. Okay. The concept of manipulating space, which is basically what gravity is, mm -hmm. I think is going to be something we will have surprises in. Right? I think there is more to manipulating space than we can even dream of, and somehow it will be possible. Okay. I, I really do think that will happen. Okay. And once you have that, then yes, you could build that technology into a broom in principle mm -hmm. and make it fly. The, the overwhelming challenge is the same challenge just for the jet that I mentioned, is it takes no matter how you do it, it's going to take massive amounts of energy to manipulate space. Okay. Right? We just know that as well. Uh -huh. And whenever you need massive amounts of energy, it, you can throw out the word alien technology. I and did. it sounds cool. It does sound cool. And it does sound cool. But e even that, it, it's really hard to imagine how to miniaturize any power source because you're just dealing in sort of fundamental scales. You need a certain amount of stuff to make a certain amount of energy. Um, and you're always going to have a certain amount of heat coming off of it. So th there's fundamental physics challenges to designing it small. Mm -hmm. But the basic idea, I like where you're going. Well, I really do like where you're going. I, I think there's, there's room there. I think well, actually I'm gonna there say is a way with the anti-gravity. I knew there was. Rather mm -hmm. than having the energy source being in the broom, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. Come on, where's the right, power so going to come from? Maybe you're wearing a big battery backpack or right. you, know, you have a nuclear reactor. Eh, this on. is ridiculous. Maybe you have a fusion yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but what you do is you put a network of anti-gravity towers, shall we say, mm -hmm. all over the planet you fly around on. And then your broom talks to the towers, and you lean and jig and whatever on the broom, mm -hmm. and it communicates to the towers, and the towers just use their um, repulsor beams on you, and you can go wherever you want. Yeah, the, the danger of that, though, I mean, it's like a cell network, so you do have to be careful that you don't fly into a no-cell zone. Yes. Because if yeah. you don't have service, it's yeah. way worse on a broom than for your cell phone. Well, and along with, well, so along with that, 
cell phone towers are extraordinarily dangerous, we're now coming to find out. How could the anti-gravity, I mean, all that electromagnetic stuff... Well, we don't know what anti-gravity is. Is it going right. to cook your brain? It could. Okay, well, but that, we don't, I don't want to. <laughs> okay. Until we right, know the technology, we won't know if your brain's yeah, cooked. Maybe it's enough. a very, you know, controlled area. Okay. Yeah. But isn't that expensive infrastructure to put in? I don't know. It's the only technology. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. I it like you too. I do like the defense of that. I think that's how we can figure it out that right. way. And and go along with that. So what I was going to say, and this is gonna this is gonna jump onto that as well, is in I think it was in like the 1800s. Someone said everything that's been invented has already been invented, yeah. right? So you would be very difficult. It would be very difficult for you to explain what a television was or what a phone was to someone in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. So right now, we don't have the knowledge of this anti-gravity technology. Right. And in 100 years when we have it, we'll be looking back and saying, oh, that Dr. Denon, he, Daniel J. Glenn analytical mastermind was really onto something when he said alien tech and Harry Potter's broom. Denon was a poo-pooer. And now look at him I now. I did not poo-poo. Egg on his face. I did not years poo -poo. From now. I just pointed out the challenges, Dan, why it's going to take 100 years. <laughs> right, right. No, that's, that's all. And it would take an alien, you know, No, no, I think we're going to do it. Okay. Perfect. I love that. Perfect way to end it. Uh, but that can't be the end of the conversation. How can people get in touch with you guys online if they want to keep talking to so, you? So, easy to find me. You just flip my name. I'm at Denon Michael okay. instead of Michael Denon on Twitter and Instagram. Facebook, you got to add the prof in front of it. It's Prof, prof Denon Michael. Okay. Prof Denon Michael. Easy enough. On all the social media, I am B. Seepser. How do you spell that? B S I E P S C R. Okay, the way God intended. Exactly. Uh, and I am a little trickier. I am Daniel J. Glenn on Twitter, the Daniel J. Glenn on Instagram, and Analytical Mastermind on Facebook uh, for people who still use that. Uh, I think we really cracked this. We just need to get in touch with a similar, uh, with an advanced civilization, but I think we got this. I think we did. Good right. job. Was a giant wind tunnel. Or just okay. a wind giant tunnel. Um, nailed it. We did it once again, guys. So thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. I just wanted to remind you that this is also a video podcast. If you want to check out some of the videos we referred to in this episode, or even some of the news stories we talked about, the in real life stuff, ftriplegbt.com. That's your source. Episode link at the top of the page. Bottom of the page, links to the social media. One's for the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser, and of course, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. All of the social media links, bottom of the page. Uh, please check it out. And if you like this show, you're going to love everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out more of our projects. Thank you for listening.